everyone, and welcome back to Marlin's Corner. We are now approaching the end of January. Uh, this is our final week of January. We're moving right on into February. Uh, time is shooting by. So excited to have you here as we talk about uh, some twisted Netflix uh, properties today or shows or movies that had a very interesting twist to them that made them enjoyable to watch or just quite fascinating to be a part of. So strap in and let's dive on in. Now to start, we're going to begin with Archive 81. Uh, If you're someone who's a fan of found footage uh, films, this is definitely going to be an interesting and fun ride for you. Definitely get a kick out of this. Adds its own spark of ingenuity to this genre. uh, And showrunner Rebecca Sosine definitely described it as being a fun supernatural horror film uh, that has like a little bit of thrilling and and mystery tones to it. Um, We also have an amazing cast of, uh, I would say, characters here. You have Mamadou Athey as Dan Turner, and you have Dina Shahibi as Melody Pendress. Now, these are two main characters who uh, are connected through two different timelines. Now, what's wild is that in the typical found footage fashion, we definitely have, you know, uh, Dan Turner is exposed to who Melody Pendress is through these footages. Uh, but as opposed to it being one person watching someone and trying to figure it out, you eventually have these two individuals across time uh, connect and have moments where they are communicating with one another, which I think was probably the most interesting twist of the whole thing is that they can directly and indirectly influence each other's timelines. Uh, through their connections through these found footage films. Um, but let's kind of back up and talk about more of the other themes that kind of connect these characters here. So the characters are connected by the theme of loss. Both characters are missing someone from their family uh, that ultimately could explain larger parts of their past. Uh, Dan Turner's father passed away in A Mysterious Father. um, But before that, they had a connection through uh, tapes, old tapes, VHS tapes, Betamax. Uh, If you're someone young, this is pre-Wi-Fi, pre-streaming, or just mostly physical copies of things that are on reels uh, footage. So that's kind of where like their connection comes from. Dan and his father had a connection due to films of that type. And so moving forward, to the future, his occupation is someone that uh, actively takes a disrupted, disturbed, maybe even damaged film and restores them. And he does so uh, at his own personal time. He he does so also for a job at a museum, which uh, connects him through to Melody Pendress. Now, on Melody's side, she also experienced loss, uh, not death, but she grew up an orphan. Uh, Her mother dropped her off, and she really is unsure of her past and then connection to that. And so she is actively trying to search for her mother uh, and also through the Davenports. The Davenports connect both Melody and Dan together through two different timelines because the Davenports are two brothers who find their way to these two individuals uh, who have their own alternative means but connect them nonetheless. Now, what's great about this eight-episode series is that um, it starts out as a you know a very slow, gradual pull, and then once you're in it, it does give you that great dose of supernatural horror, uh, but it's very laced with mystery. We definitely start out with Dan, who has his own thing, and for the most part, we're seeing things through his eyes, through the tape. We see his reaction to seeing this mysterious woman, Melody, as she's going to this apartment complex called The Visser uh, to discover where her mother is, and there are these very 
very interesting characters who don't want to talk to her in this apartment complex. They have secret meetings in the basement. They have this really weird um, panting, moaning uh, chant that they do around this uh, statue of this uh, alien-like figure. And then from there, we see it being flipped where we see that now Dan, through watching, has, unbeknownst to himself, opened up a portal to this world and has allowed this creature, this entity that exists where Melody's timeline is to basically start to come into his own world. We see this creature start to come through the TV, show up in static tapes uh, and stops. And we see it start to infiltrate his dreams. We start seeing that dreams become a big thing to where once dreaming Dan and Melody can have conversations that both remember in their respective timelines. We see that even Melody at a certain point is recording uh, herself talking about Dan and Dan's like, there's no way that she could remember that because not only has Melody died in this instance, but they existed in two different time periods. And so we kind of see that explored more and more and more. And it's really fascinating. We have so many like what the hell moments. We have so many moments of like the mystery flame that we think is answered just continues to get stoked. And it's really gives you such amazing content to kind of keeps pulling you in. Like my only gripe with this series is that instead of, you know, it ending and, you know, maybe it could have been 13 episodes instead of it is ending, it does this kind of sequel baiting thing. And my only gripe with that, of course, is that I would have preferred a singular story where we go from start to end and we kind of get it in one sitting to kind of leave us with this, this kind of feeling of, oh man, that was, that was wild. Like I would have even preferred maybe even a fade to black oh no how do we get here what are you going to do moment i think it adds even more mystery to it because we're like great we'll never know how it's going to end it's such a mystery that's so wild but instead uh we see that this is a netflix property so it wants to go for season two and very often season two on netflix doesn't go well for properties now this could be based on the fact that netflix has so many shows and they all tend to vary but for the most part a season two is a gamble especially for a property uh, that just you know is brand new um i really wish we had gotten this like really great you know one and done masterpiece that it was already like carving out for itself rather than risking so much on season two. You know, they could, you know, jump the shark. They could stumble through more convoluted mystery tropes. They could try to add on more to the mystery rather than focusing on the mystery that already exists. But hey, my hope is that I'm wrong. My hope is that, you know, me thinking they'll be too ambitious is like they're going to like, you know, come and have a great season two that's what i'm hoping for because that's what i would love to see but i am a little uh skeptical because not many shows come back and do a great season two and keep going um but we'll see you know but what about you if you've seen season one of archives 81 do you think season two will still hold up is it too ambitious Tell me on my IG comments when we post this. Let me know your thoughts. All right. And next up, we have a uh, three-part anthology film called The House. Uh, This is produced by Nexus Studios. They're a stop-motion animation as well as other animation. Uh, And this is about uh, three chapters that center on a house and three stories of individuals who made this house 
their home. Uh, if you are big into stop motion animation, this is going to be right up your alley. If you just like mysteries and creepy things, this has this has those things. And you're going to like them. I will say the first two chapters of this film are quite, frankly, the darkest and strangest. After that, you know, it's like the third chapter is just very kind of like, all right. But the first two definitely carry this whole film. Um, what's wild is that every chapter features a time jump and a change in species as well. So it kind of keeps you guessing what's going to happen next. But the first chapter takes us to like the 1800s. And it honestly felt like a grim fairy tale story. Um, it's about a modest family and how they are uprooted by their father um, who wants a bigger home because his family that just came to visit were shaming him. So we you see this family, they're really happy in their small home at first, they're meeting each other for breakfast, they're really having a fun time, but when the father's family comes into town, they kind of shame him for not being, you know, a fancy guy. Like, hey, like, you've gone to school, you have such a great education, why do you live in this small house? Uh, and we just kind of see this family ridicule this man to the point where he decides, you know what, I want to do something about it. And late at night, he meets a creepy guy in the middle of the woods uh, and what's really great about this scene is that it's just played um, as a very funny moment, but also a very weird, scary moment, because out of nowhere, there's this like caravan that's on the road behind this man. There's no horses pulling it. There's no one carrying it. It just sits on the ground. The guy opens the door and he just walks in. And when he comes back the next morning, he tells his whole family, like, hey, I, I had a deal and I signed a contract with this weird, strange architect guy who promised me he's going to build us a bigger and better home. And at first, when he tells his wife that, she's not 100% on board with the plan, which makes sense. Uh, but when they are told that, that the mysterious architect is going to uh, put them up in his home, and it's a very nice home while he builds their house, she kind of is okay with it. She's like, you know what? I like his house. It's really big. There's servants. It looks super dope. And they're pretty much jaded to the fact that there are crazy things happening around them. You know, they're in this home and you watch them change. You watch them begin to develop their behaviors around being rich and wealthy. Whereas at first they were like very interested in like, oh, it looks so nice. They become more and more like, great, like we live here. This is our home. We like the food. The servants did a good job. Uh, oh, I, I love the sewing machine. I love the fireplace. They become very focused on objects as opposed to their family. We see them become disconnected. And the only individuals in the family that remain together or remember the good times are their children. Their daughter, Penelope, and her younger sister uh, are the only ones unchanged. They're the only ones that question things around them. They're the only ones that seem to be aware of how wild things are around them. Like the, the daughter Penelope had oftentimes walks down the hallways and sees these strange men who are carving holes in the floor or making new ladders for things. And the house is constantly changing and rearranging itself to where the point that she can no longer get to the family room from where she is. And her and her sister have to sleep somewhere else 
while the mother and father don't look for her. They're more focused on the material wealth of the home. And ultimately, this story is definitely about, hey, be careful what you wish for. Uh, and the grass is always green on the other side. Because by the end of the film, the mother and father are so obsessed with, with material things in the home, they themselves turn into pieces of home furnishing. Uh, the father turns into a chair and the mother turns into a curtain. And it's at that very end that they realize, you know, we've made a mistake and they help their child escape out of the house. But as Penelope and her sister are escaping, the house burns down. And so, like I said, it's a very grim fairy tale feel vibe. Um, and I got to say the stop motion animation in this particular chapter is so creepy. Uh, There's so many like quiet moments where there's laughter. The architect character like can appear from shadows and like grab people. It is so dark. And it honestly, I'm glad it was first because it pulls you all the way in. Now the second chapter we skip forward, and I believe it takes place present day-ish because everyone has a smartphone. And this one, we get a species change. Now everyone is a mouse person. And in this uh, mouse person chapter, we focus on this character who's a developer, um, who has this huge dream of turning this house that he bought. Uh, he's he's going to flip it, and he's going to take that money go to the Maldives, buy a boat. Like he is all in on this flipping lifestyle. He put his, all of his investments on this. He sleeps in the house as he's fixing it. Like he is really focused on making this house amazing. And he's also the realtor as well. So he's pulling double, he's pulling double, triple duty. He's not only posting about the house, he's fixing the house. He's going to be doing the house showing, buying food, making things for the showing. He's going all in, go big or go home for this home. And again, it's important to remember that this is the same house from earlier. He's just fixed it up. And so we know that this house has a history of being weird. Well, now it's fixed up, new paint, new screens on it. Like they're, they're going for it. And this one, again, gives you like grim vibes because he's so focused on this house and, and, and so obsessed with selling it. Uh, he is very accepting of strangeness at a certain point as he's doing the viewing there are two particular weird mouse characters that tell him that they are interested in buying the home what's important to note is that prior to this the showing had not been going great people weren't vibing with the home uh the food was kind of crappy so once he hears from these weird couple that they're into the home he's excited so excited that he allows them to sleep in the house and they haven't purchased yet. He allows them to uh, order him to get them food. Uh, he's willing to put up with so much because he really wants that money. He really wants them to purchase that home. And as he's doing this, he starts noticing smaller things. Oh, cool. Like there are bugs in my house. So he becomes more focused on the bugs in the home than the two creepy people that are upstairs. And so he eventually um, almost poisons himself and winds up in the hospital. And no one really visits him while he's there. The bank is calling him because he's late on payments because he's got a big loan. So there's no one checking up on him. He's truly alone. But when he goes back to the home, the two creepy rat people are there. And they have now uh, invited their relatives over. Again, they have not purchased this home. 
but the relatives all come over and they're the only ones that are excited to see him. And so we watch as this relationship transforms uh, figuratively and literally as at the end of the film, we... We kind of got hints at this, but these mouse characters are very bug-shaped. And by the end of this chapter, they are full mouse-type bug creatures. They are, they have multiple arms, they're crawling over the wall, they're eating furniture, they're eating the wallpaper. It's super creepy. If you don't like bugs, this is going to make you feel like they're crawling all over you. And it gets to a certain point where we go back and find the main mouse character who has gone fully feral. He's eating garbage, he's crawling through walls, he's digging holes and it's a super creepy episode and it just ends on that. It ends on him just crawling into this hole and kind of like just being in there and then it just fades to black. Uh, So again, this is another creepy one out the gate and I will tell you it's the last creepy one. So if you want to go to the end you just got to make it past chapter one and two and you'll make it to the final one which isn't you know, it isn't as creepy. Now the final chapter, it skips further into the future, uh, and it doesn't give you much context as to what's happening in this future. All we know is that uh, that the house is still there. It's been turned into an apartment complex, uh, and it is surrounded completely by water. Water and mist. And there is another species change. Everyone is a cat person. And our new main character is Rosa, who is the landlord uh, of the now apartment complex, which is still the home. Uh, and she still wants to renovate it. You know, she, she wants to make it better. Um, she notes that people have been leaving. People have left and no one has returned back. Now, there are two other quote unquote tenants of this building, but they don't really pay rent um, because how could they? It doesn't really seem like there's any way they could pay rent. They are on a small island with just water on all sides of them, Uh, but they they all kind of live there together. And we ultimately see that with this film, it doesn't really have a grim vibe. It's more or less a um, it's more or less the theme is about letting things go because in this film, the characters in the in the home all want to kind of leave and go out and do other things and just not be in this home and just sit there all day and all night. They want to explore other things. And Rosa isn't capable of doing that. She wants to be in this home. She wants to make it better. She wants to be a part of it still. And she doesn't want to leave it. Uh, and ultimately, by the very end of it, you know, her friends are able to find a compromise. Like they are aware that this home means a lot to her, uh, but they also are aware that she's going to be lonely. And so they find some way to trick out the land mass she's on in the house uh, and the house becomes a boat. And so she's able to go with this houseboat with her friends off into the sunset. And we get this bigger shot where we we first are kind of feeling hopeful about her leaving. But then when we get this wider shot, we see that there's just so much more water and there's no other land masses. It's kind of gives you this kind of darker context of like, oh, there was a huge flood and there's just no land anywhere. Where are they going to go? This portion also d- definitely gave me purgatory vibes. Like, are they in purgatory? Is this them crossing to the other side to to like, you know, go to Elysium? I don't know. There isn't much context given to you once they seal off into the sunset. But, you know, it leaves you thinking, which ultimately I think this film leaves you thinking about all the chapters. It's a wild movie. 
lately. Um, I felt like there are portions where I'm like, oh, like, am I high right now? Like, what's happening? What am I seeing? Um, but it's it was dope. Like, it's a trippy, mysterious vibe, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Definitely watch with friends so you can pause and talk because it definitely is a pause and talk kind of movie because it is chock full of what the hell moments. And lastly, I have a film that I'm not going to go super deep into details about, uh, but I had to include it because it is a twist. It's a twist on a film we've seen before, but it is a ridiculous twist and I must talk about it. On Netflix, there's a movie called Eileen Wuornos, American Boogie Woman. Um, It's awful. Like, legitimately, it's a terrible film. It's (laughs) <laughs> but it's also the funniest film I've seen in a while. Like, it's it's, it's funny from start to finish. Uh, it's important to note that this whole, like, um, Eileen Warner thing, like, she is a murderer, and she did go to jail, and she was put away for for murder, uh, and she got lethal injection, I think, in 2003, so she is dead. Um, And it's a very serious uh, thing that she was about, and if you want a very serious portrayal of her, go watch Monster with Charlize Theron. It's a much better film. I mean, it's it's based on the character's actions, supposed to being very like like it, it isn't like super funny. Like it's a very serious film and got Charlie's a, an Oscar. It, it's a real film, you know. It's a real film that's really focused on what happened uh, and really gives you this like okay, this is dark and I get it moment. But if you want to have a film that's really funny and about that. Hey, this is a film for you. This film will have you absolutely rolling. The actress in this does her very best. Peyton List, she does her best. But my God, it's a, it's a cringeworthy movie. I mean, Peyton in every scene has this scowl on her face. Like, it looks like she smelt something bad. And like, she keeps tilting her head back when she does it. And... <laughs> It just looks really goofy. <laughs> like she looks like a Hanna Barbera, like like cartoon villain. Like I feel like they, I feel like they should have given her like a like a long mustache to kind of twirl because it's just like it's so on the nose. Like it isn't even like she's trying to like be like, hey, I'm a murderer and a bad person. Like throughout the entire film, she's just like really evil looking, and it's like, come on, y'all. Like who is giving her direction on this? Like scale it back a bit. Scale it back a bit. This character is played up to a hundred. And honestly, as bad as I say it is, it's so one reason why I couldn't look away because I had to see what was going to happen next. And what's even better is that by the time it gets like really kind of, I guess, boring, they decide to throw in a climax scene. Um, uh, like, like the climax of the film is she gets J- Jason Voorhees like powers. Like she ultimately is like, like we've seen her murder people in the movie, but for her final... <laughs> For her final murder of the film, uh, she gets like full on Jason Voorhees power. And whoever was the cinematographer was just going wild with these shots. Like there's a scene where like she she pushes this like this this old man down the stairs. And like they try to do like 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 a psycho thing where they zoom it on his face and he falls down the stairs, but it just looks so awful. Like it looks like like I audibly laughed out loud as this old man is like ah! falling down the stairs. He hits his head, uh, and it's really bad. But what's worse is that she was behind this man, like he was talking to her in one room. <laughs> 
And like they were on like the ground floor. They were talking to each other. The old man like turns his back to her and says, you know what? I'm going to call the police. Get out of my way. Like you're, you're not who I thought you were. He turns around and tries to go up the stairs. And she somehow from the first floor gets to the top of the stairs before this man does and is standing there. And is like, no, you don't. And like pushes him down the stairs and he hits his head. And it gets even more it gets even more worse. Like this old man's like daughter and her boyfriend come and like they see like that he's like on the ground. They go in there and they talk with him, like, oh no, he's hurt. We gotta, we gotta help him. Uh this Eileen pops up behind them and is like, Where do you think you're going with my husband? And like they like go around a corner and she appears in front of them again. And- <laughs> And it's like, how did you get there? And like they like push her out of the way, and like they they, they and like she tells like her boyfriend to take the old man somewhere, and they get like to like this outside pool fight where she like pushes Eileen into the pool, and Eileen's like, oh no, I can't swim. Oh no, you gotta save me. And instead of leaving this woman who's a murderer, because again, it's a stupid 80s horror film, the daughter's like, oh, I got to go help her. And like reaches out to help Eileen out of the water. And of course, Eileen yanks her into the water and like attempts to drown her. And then she like passes out in the water. Like Eileen like just like kind of grabs her head and like kisses her on the mouth and like leaves her in the pool and just like dips. And, and it's so bad but it gets worse and then she goes to like a boat to like like start the boat up to escape and the girl that she knocked out in the water literally they show us they show her waking up in the pool and like where's Eileen and literally in the next scene she's at the boat with her like instantaneous like hey what are you doing they don't show how she got there she literally just pops up and they're at the boat and it's like how did you get there and not only her but her dad who got knocked out and had blood gushing from the side of his head also appears and like like, helps his daughter fight Eileen like hits her with like the sailing mast and she like falls into the water and they're like well I'm glad she's dead and like it shows that she didn't die but it was just so bad it was such a bad film, but it was so funny. Like the overall feel of this film is what if the team of people that shoot the violent reenactments from the Lifetime show Snapped got money to do, to do a feature film? What if they were paid like, hey, do you know how bad those like in a, if you've watched Snap before, you know that the the reenactments are always over the top. That's what this is. This is an over the top uh, reenactment film that's hours long. And it's just, it's so bad. But honestly, if you want to have an amazing time laughing at just how bad this film is, check out Eileen Wuornos' American Boogeyman. There is nothing to be gained from this film. It is just a bad reenactment with a big budget, and it is so much fun. It's so bad and so good at the same time. I might have to watch it again, honestly. I might have to do a watch party and watch it again because, God, y'all, I I couldn't. Like, even talking about it, I had to, like, it's just, it's so funny how bad it is. And, like, everyone is overacting. Like, every single person is an overactor. And it's wild. Like, what's even funnier is that they got... (laughs) <laughs> they got the dude from Saw who plays like the original Jigsaw. He's like, he's the dad. And all I can think of 
as she was like pushing him down the stairs, it's like, man, she should have just said, oh, do you want to play a game? Ah, oh, it would have been so good. It was such a missed opportunity. <laughs> oh, anyway, y'all. Give it a watch. That's been my review for this week. We're looking forward to doing more for February. There's more things dropping. There's an awesome murder film uh, that's going to be dropping soon on Netflix uh, about it about a woman who lives across the street and sees a murder. I look forward to watching that and telling you all about it. Uh, but hey, we'll see you back here in the corner next time on Marlon's Corner. See ya. This episode of Marlon's Corner is produced in Richmond, California.